at that moment in time, I knew that it was God was speaking to me. There was no doubt in my mind that that idea in my head came from God. And I'm super grateful that I get to know him. It's like joy, comfort, peace. Like I'm going to be productive. I'm going to be doing things with my life and like making people proud. Shining miracles are people who are experiencing God's love and grace and becoming aware of his presence. Lift me up in your branches. We can watch the sunrise. Welcome to the Shining Miracles podcast. This is our first episode. I'm your host, John Abato. And with me here today is my co-producer and permanent panel, panel member, uh, Brenton Finn. Um, and also, just so everybody knows, our real producers, Linda and Jen, are also here. Um, and I wanted to um, read this quote. I actually put this on the, on the website this morning as I was thinking about how this podcast was going to go today and thinking about who Brent really is. Um, so here's a quote that I got. Um, Rick Renner wrote this in uh, Sparkling Gems, a book that he wrote. And it says, your life was always meant to be, even in your worst moments, a great demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, we want to use this first episode to tell you what we plan on doing with this opportunity to have a podcast, a little about who we are. And then we're going to get into Brent's story to give you an idea of what our interviews are going to be like. And by the way, we hope to have a variety of panel members in the future to keep the questions and the perspectives fresh. Uh, Okay, so I had this idea for a podcast about interviewing people who have had spiritual awakenings, people who have been touched by God in a way that their lives were changed or redirected. And I want to be clear that the God I wanted to talk about was the God of the, of the Christian Bible and still is. Uh, anyway, I had this idea and then I met Brenton Finn, who, as I mentioned, is with me here today. And we immediately had a spiritual connection and I was always talking about a podcast and he was always talking about helping people who might be going down the same wrong path that he'd been down. Um, And he wanted to help them by sharing the story of the total destruction of his life and then the resurrection of his spirit and the hope he found on his journey with God. Does that sound about right, Brent? Yeah, absolutely, John. Okay. So we talked a lot about our lives and where we'd been and where we wanted to go and eventually just became brothers and co-producers of this podcast called Shining Miracles. So here we are, Brenton. And I, I know you feel like a new man now. Oh, man, it's um, unbelievable. Before we get into your story, I just want to mention something because I think it's probably the most important part of your story. And I don't, I don't want to lose sight of it. And that is that there was a major incident in your life in which God intervened and made you aware of his presence. And that's what changed the direction of your life. Um, and as you have portrayed it to me and this gave you a new purpose for living right yes sir all right so let's get into that but first let's start with your childhood can you just tell me a little bit about that brent yeah um okay so i grew up in a single parent home um my father wasn't present uh my mother 
also I already had an older brother and eventually had a younger brother with um you know my mom was with a different man but uh you know he left and everything too so it left my mother you know single parent to raise three boys so she wasn't really present you know so I kind of just got out into the streets and hanging out with people and um I looked up to the people who were using drugs and selling drugs and it was like the type of people that like embraced me and um I just thought they were cool man and I always wanted to seek their approval I did anything possible to fit in with that crowd and um you know I started using by age 11 I was um smoking crack doing ecstasy doing PCP um smoking marijuana drinking every drug in the book at that point besides opiates I was doing at age 11 and daily um you know it, it got really rough for me man I was uh I actually got arrested around 11 or 12 for breaking into a middle school and hitchhiking to Ocean City with um an adult and another like minor that was like 16 or so and um I remember that man my mom came to pick me up from Ocean City and she was so upset and um, I was so worried about other people's approval and stuff like that. It was um, what they call senior week. So a lot of those older guys were down there. My mom asked me in the car, like, oh, since we're down here, do you want to hang out? And, like, I just didn't even want to see be seen, like, with my parents around, like, these people that I idolized and stuff. So I said, no, we just drove home in silence. Um, there was no discipline for that. You know, when I got home, I just went straight out and just hung out with other friends. But um, I went to court at that, at that age, and I got put um, – I went to Charles Hickey. And I ended up going to court and getting put on um, indefinite juvenile probation. And, um, you know, I'm 33 years old now, just to give you guys kind of like a concept. And I'm basically still on probation. I'm on drug treatment court. But, uh, you know, I've never been on probation since the age of 11, you know, aside from um, what I'm working towards now. But uh, at the age of 11, once I did that incident, I um, had the system you know in my life a probation officer and, and stuff like that monitoring me and um I feel like I was kind of raised by them because they were you know frequently showing up and I was giving dirty urines for you know everything marijuana cocaine stuff like that and every time I gave a dirty urine they'd incarcerate me I was going to Charles H Hickey which is like a pretty rough juvenile facility I mean worse mm -hmm. than some of the prisons that they have you know um Learned exactly. to fight there, learned everything. I mean, it was a dangerous, messed up place for you know, young to, kids. I used to work there probably about 10 years before you were there. I used to go yeah. there from the place that I worked to try to get these kids out of there who I who we thought were just improperly there because they were drug addicts. They weren't people that, you know, they were people that got themselves into a situation because of the drugs, not because of who they were. Yeah, we had another means. facility, but it was it was terrible. Yeah, I would have loved to have met you back then. I'll tell you that yeah. because I mean that's exactly spot on what was going on with me. Uh, you know, I I was a full blown addict. I guess by the age of twelve or thirteen, and in and out of facilities, I struggled with recidivism by the age of fourteen, mm -hmm. just from frequent incarcerations. And I basically felt like I was raised by the system. Um, I got sent to a lot of like boot camps and stuff like that. And like, you know, I still call you Mr. John sometimes. Right, you know what I mean, right, right. that's just because like from going to the boot camps so frequently that like instilled that type of stuff in me. So, uh, but it was tough times, man. I would literally go and be locked up for a year. First day home, friends would be at the house and I'd be smoking and drinking and partying. Probation officer might show up the next day and I'm going back to jail, you know? And uh, right. it's sad because that was basically like what I was comfortable with, you know, subconsciously. I mean, I kind of like needed that structure and like it's influenced me so much today, like recidivism set in, like I said, around the age of 14. And that's something I still struggle with today. Like I, I almost need that structure and stuff like that to function.
Yeah. And um, prior to, you know, this spiritual awakening that I had and what we're going to get into, you know, I always thought like in the back of my mind, like using like, you know, screw it, either, either I'll die from using and all the pain and misery and stuff will be over or um, I'll just go back to jail and I'm OK there. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like my thought process. And it was just so terrible, man, for a young kid struggling with addiction to, you know, be treated that way by the system. You know what I mean? Like, uh it was just so, I don't know, man. Like I said, I would love to have met you then because it was always just about drugs. And it's funny because I just went to court recently and the prosecutor, his name, um, I don't know, can I say his name on here? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The prosecutor, um, Adam Wells, um, he was actually just in court, you know, now at the age of 33. And when the judge was like proposing what she wanted to do, he said, your honor, I've, um, you know, uh, been dealing with Mr. Finn for over 20 years, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, prosecuting him and da, 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 da. And the judge was like proposing what she planned on doing. And, um, you know, the state said, well, we're not going to contest too much. It is what it is. I've been um, prosecuting Mr. Finn for over 20 years and he's not the worst of people. So we're not really going to give the court a hard time. And that struck me so bad. I'm thinking like, this man has prosecuted me for 20 years of my life just for being an addict, you know? And at the age of 33, that's such a substantial amount of time. And like, I just thought right there, like, if I could just help one person not go through that, you know what I mean? My life would just feel like it had a strong sense of purpose, you know? And, and that's like, really, man, um, what I feel God's will for my life is, is to use this. And I would like to start with working like with troubled youth, because I think that's when it really gets set in, you know, because right. for, for anybody like me that starts dealing with recidivism at such a young age, I mean, that hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper and the odds of you getting out of it at this you know, they're slim right. to none. You know? Can you explain recidivism to people that don't understand what that is? Yeah, recidivism basically, and I'm not like, you know, a Webster or anything, but uh, it's like you can't function in society anymore. Like you're so used to going in and out of jail, in and out of jail, and like the rate of like somebody returning, you know, they constantly are returning and returning to jail. And, you know, they never say what it is, but, you know, from firsthand experience, it's because... I need it. You know, it's almost like I'm so scared in the world and the day to day things that people take for granted. I'm not able to do like my girl just had to help me get on Zoom. You know what I mean? Like it's just so many things that like people just and think like it's normal. But what they say when they give you a rate of recidivism is and it's usually around two thirds. What they mean is the people that are doing actual time but get released. The, the rate of recidiv recidivism is how many of those people end up back in jail. And yes, it's sir. usually about two thirds. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, though, was a little while ago, you said that, you know, you thought maybe if you did so much drugs, it would just be over, you know, because you yeah. die and you wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. Can you um, tell me a little bit about what it was that you were dealing with? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, it's like, I've just had so much pain and misery in my life and I've caused so much pain and misery to anybody else around me. And that came basically from going in and out of institutions and also, uh, you know, the drug use and just how selfish I became. And like, I don't know, man, I've had my mom, you know, later in life break down crying on the phone while I'm in prison, just asking me, when can I have peace? You know what I mean? Like, when will you give me peace? And like, it like made me think like, wow, my release date is eight years away. So I know she's not going to have peace for the next eight years. Like, 
man, why I just need to end this, you know, like basically like pulling the band-aid off. And I know it's like selfish and it's gonna hurt her a lot and everything, but you know, being in on segregation for 12 months at a time, 13 months at a time, and being, you know, in a cell by yourself with those thoughts, like I mean, it's just so hard to get through and deal with. Um, you know, I've just really just everything's taken a toll on my family because me and my mother have gotten like a better adult relationship and we're really close now. Like I love her to death. She has so many qualities that like I aspire to have selflessness, like just really caring and loving. And uh, she's a great person, but I've heard her so much. John, she just told me um, having me back like this and seeing me today the way I am is like the equivalent of her having world peace. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And that made me, it broke right. me down and like made me cry and everything, but that's how she feels. And like, you know, uh, well, I've just been like, I don't know. It's just been really tough on her. And uh, when I was out there using, I mean, I was miserable. You know, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any real friends around me. It was just a bunch of like people using you. And like, this just seems like such a depressing, lonely life. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I used to die. I did not care. I went as hard as I could. I wanted to be as high as I could, as numb as I could. I did not want to deal with the world because it was like, basically a scary place to me you know what i mean like I just, what what do you think came first the 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 horrors of life or the drug addiction um i would say i would say the horrors of life but it, it now as an adult i would say that but looking back you know i thought it was awesome not having you know really structure or discipline or anything like that as a child you know and i could just run out and be gone for days climb through my bedroom window, go to sleep and, you know, just pop back up. Like, you know, back then I thought it was great, but it affected my life so much, you know, like now I think back, like that was the troubles of life. I wish somebody would have just typed me up a little bit back then, you know, Right. and the system, some places try, you know, but when you continually go through places like um, Charles Hickey and um, Shelton Ham and all those spots, like it just, it just has an impact on you. And um, yeah, I just couldn't get out of that hole. Tell us a little bit about, the the crimes and and what actually the trouble was i mean what you what you were actually getting into um okay so as a juvenile it was um basically just a lot of possession charges and um violations of probation for dirty urine and stuff like that but um you know my first adult charge i had like three or four burglaries you know breaking into people's houses stealing stuff I stole a safe. Um, I, I, I stole from my family. Like I've done so many terrible things. Is that you know, all to try really, to get drugs? All for drugs, yeah. yeah. And um, eventually it came to um, okay. I was home for ten days out of jail after serving thirty months, and I didn't have anybody. I got out uh, in the winter with a pair of shorts and a t-shirt on because I got locked up in the summer, you know. And um, my family was like on some tough love stuff and not dealing with me. I didn't have anybody, you know. And I just got like with like the gang crowd and stuff. And those are the people that came to pick me up. And I just was using with them. And, uh, you know, I ended up with an armed robbery for robbing a bank in Eldersburg, actually, the Susquehanna Bank um, in Eldersburg. But uh, I didn't harm anybody. I didn't have a gun or anything. I just used a note and stated, um, you know, I have a gun. Uh, don't no silent alarms, no impacts, no police. Give me all the money in the till or people get hurt, whatever. And uh, I got it. And I. You know, I ended up getting away for a little while, but my ride actually left me while I was in there and I, I got called down the street. But um, it was actually like one of those things like, I'm, OK, either I'm going to get a lot of drugs and I'm going to get high and die 
I'm going to get killed by the police in this, you know, or I'm just going to go back to prison and I'm going to be all right either way. You know what I mean? It was kind of like the best three things for me. I was so depressed and like alone and uh, really just going through a lot of tough times, man. And, uh, you know, did I, you not know God at all then? Or did you yeah, just God wasn't, yeah, God wasn't in my household, you know, as a kid. And I'm like, actually, it sounds crazy, but like, I'm extremely grateful for that because um just the way i grew up i might have resentments or anything like god knew when they come into my life you know but i've heard i heard about god like in like hickey and places like that and i had my share of foxhole prayers and 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 such you know but yeah i didn't i never accepted grace into my heart or uh you know really was all my stuff i just you know god was there when i needed him or wanted him I, you know i'd beg him for something but yeah that's about it so then what happened um i got 20 years all suspended but um five i served that sentence i came home i messed up a couple more times using um and i actually got sent to the westminster rescue mission as a part of um you know one of my sentences to go there and not get jail time again or whatever and um that's where i really found god um i was baptized there i think we had like four or five bible maybe like six bible studies a day we had somebody come in that you could just ask any question about and like God, this man was like working through me immediately. We'd go to different churches and I'd have random people come up to me and say like, hey, God spoke to me and he told me to tell you, you're going to save thousands of people and you're going to help thousands of people. And, and it happened to me multiple times at different churches. And like I started going around with them and sharing my testimony a little bit. And um, it was just really impacting people strong and the feeling God put inside of me when I did it. Like I knew that that was his will for me because at that point I was praying to understand it, praying to like for him to implement it in my life. And um, yeah, it was better than any drug. It was better than anything I ever done. Like I just felt elated, like ecstasy. And uh, I remember one time um, I was at a church in Littlestown, Pennsylvania, and we were um, helping people get Christmas gifts or whatever. And we just pushed their card around and spoke to them, like a little bit about our testimony and how Jesus worked in our lives. You know? Wow. This lady counted the people and seen that it was me that was going to have to walk her to get the gifts. And at the end of walking around, she told me she almost left just because of my tattoos and like my size and stuff like that. And I walked around and by the time we left with her gifts, she said that I, I relit the fire for Christ in her heart. You know, she'll, she'll never judge anybody based on their appearance again, ask me for a hug, put her stuff in her car. I'm like, that was just so powerful to me. Like, I'll never forget that day. And like, that was God telling me like, hey man, like, you know, I need you. I remember we were talking a conversation like as a time for such as this or something four times such as this or whatever mm -hmm. you know i started thinking like, yeah right i remember that yeah. mm -hmm. every single thing i've been through is like you know it's all been for a reason you know what i mean and i know that like you're into helping people and doing that as well like just the way i look and things like that maybe i'll be able to get through some kids that that might not get through to you because i remember you know how i was as a kid like oh, i ain't trying to hear that or whatever but right you know that's what i aspire to do you know i, I feel like um People, oh, oh, you got all these tattoos on you. You'll never get a job. I know it was my will to get all these tattoos or stuff, but God's so powerful. He's going to use it for his will, you know, and I'm be able to get through to people without right. always doing it. And uh, I just think it's amazing, man. Like everything has been just for a reason. Every single thing I've been through, like, uh, you know, in prison, uh, I ended up actually getting the whole rest of the backup time. I got 15 years for a violation of probation, um, you know, following all that. And um, that was uh, some rough times there. Like I was into a lot of gang stuff and uh, I was actually since 2007, the first time locked up, but um, you know, a friend of mine ended up getting killed. He got stabbed 54 times. Uh, 
got his eyeballs dug out. Like, it was really, really terrible, man. Like, I was chasing drugs. I was involved in that. Like, I, I just kind of pushed God out of my life because I was so hopeless. You know what I mean? I'm like, there's no way. If I do this 15 years, there's going to be nobody there for me when I get out. I'm going to be so miserable. I'm going to be so messed up from this. Like, it's going to be terrible. And if I was scheduled actually to serve 14 and a half years day for day, I was at 15 just from getting in trouble. Like, I was going to come home, what, let me see, seven years later. I've been 40 years old, you know, right. getting locked up at 26. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and I just had no hope. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to live this lifestyle. This is how I know to survive in here. This is how I can thrive in here and be okay. And I was just like, gave up on God. And an incident happened. Uh, two guys ran down on me when I was taking a shower. And uh, I got stabbed 27 times fighting these guys. My buddy, he got stabbed once and he ran away from me or whatever. And uh, that was actually a blessing too. I'll tell you about that. But uh, I'm fighting these guys, man. And they stabbed me 27 times. And it's out. Of, I mean, my carotid artery was hit. I had a ruptured spleen, a ruptured diaphragm, two holes in my lungs, uh, 87 staples. Got stabbed in my face, my ear, my neck. I mean, I was bad off. And um, out of nowhere, both of them guys just stopped stabbing me at the same time, like robots. Nobody intervened. Nobody said anything. Nobody screamed for help. Nothing. And they just walked away and they went upstairs to try to flush their knives. And at that time, God spoke to me and uh, he said, if you want to live, keep your eyes open. And if you want to die, just close your eyes. And as calmly as I'm speaking to you guys right now is as calm as I was then because I knew it to be the absolute 100 percent truth. Like I've never felt a sense of truth like that before in my life. It was so powerful. Like it like just took over my body. And at first I, I thought, like, man, I just got to close my eyes. Like, I need to get out of this. I got to close my eyes, you know, like, I don't want to hurt no more. And then I thought about my mother having to bury her son. And uh, I kept my eyes open for that. And I wrapped a towel around my neck, tried to hold my carotid artery, went, got somebody to get help, ended up going to the hospital. It was really rough. I was laid up for, you know, a little while. But the entire time I was locked up, I mean, at the hospital, people were calling my mother, giving her condolences, telling her that I died. Um, so she's flipping out. She's thinking I'm dead. My family's trying to recover my body from the prison. They're not telling her nothing. And I got out of that hospital and I remember getting through on the phone to her and her answering that phone and hearing my voice. And that was my rock bottom from there. Like, even though I already had the spiritual experience, like I could never cause pain like that to somebody again, like, especially such a good person like my mom. And I just knew like, God's got me. And like, I just got to keep working. I got to keep believing. And I restored my faith through all that. And my um, court situation was crazy because I already got denied everything. Like, no, you can't come back. You got to do your time. Then this spiritual awakening happened. And I started trusting in God again. I started praying. And I was writing all my own motions, trying to get out of jail, like uh, modifications, 8505, which is a drug program, stuff like that. And a new judge accidentally granted me a court date. And I get in front of her and I get the share. accident, right? Yeah, God, yeah, that's what I'm saying, quote unquote accident. But uh, I got the ability to get in front of her, and God spoke through me that day, you know, and I really touched her. And she was just so like, it was almost like her hands were tied. And she worked so hard, and like, I actually probably like manipulated all types of different things. And just, she ended up getting me like other court dates. It took a few times, but um, by the end of it, um, the judge, her name, her name's uh, Maria Ostriker. She's the I mean, she is the most logical, sensible. Um, she has so much empathy, and she's just such a great person. Like, 
you know, if you're messed up and she got to send you, she got to do what she got to do, but she will really listen to you. She doesn't have her mind made up, you know, and she felt God speak to her that day. And um, it ended up, she gave me time served, case closed, reliefs from commitment on the rest of that 15 years. The seven and a half more years I had to serve, eight years wiped out entirely. It was gone. Then um, I fought for the drug treatment court program because I was like, man, I'm going to need help out there. I, you know, I spoke a little bit earlier on it about how like the world is overwhelming sometimes. You know what I mean? It's it's just hard. So I'm like, you know, I got a little information from them. They um, intervened in the process. We're like fighting to get me in there. You know, basically like they're going to have like structure for me, but out here in the world, you know, and helping me transition. Oh, man, they begin to send them about manner psych still first. And that's where you and I met, you know, and like yeah. I just blessing after blessing, man. Like so many great people in my life. Like I actually left there three days ago. Um, you know, just doing the right thing there and like keeping God in my life. I already have an apartment with the woman I love, you know what I mean? I am in a sober house, but that place is lovely too. You know, I just just got a phone call about going in for employment on Monday. Um my family's letting me work for them. Like I got the phone call like 40 minutes ago. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm working for my family in the meantime, like I just hit a meeting yesterday, you know, like stop on, uh, swung by and seen you and Damien, like life has just been great. Like all those things that, you know, are promised, like are already happening so fast. And I know like that's God, there's like, there's no other way. Like this is unbelievable. Like even the woman he put in my life, like, is just like, it's like, you know, that's something I prayed about, you know, because women have been a downfall for me in my past too, you know, like mm -hmm. there's such a huge influence. Like I'll get with the women that are doing the wrong thing. And next thing you know, I am, or going to meetings for the wrong reason or just doing stuff, you know, and just ask God, like to give me a good woman and, uh, you know, somewhere so I can just settle down. I could just skip that whole process and I can like focus on what I need to focus on. And he answered my prayer and, uh, you know, my family is just so super involved. I get to go meet my niece for the first time on Friday. She's 18 months old or I was in prison. Uh, everybody's just really proud of me right now, man. I'm just like, I have just such a feeling of like elation. I know God's working in my life. I'm uh, praying every morning, every night, uh, going to meetings and stuff like that. I got a great sponsor, great people in my life. Working hard now, staying busy and loving life, man. For the first time, I've never loved life. I've never even been happy, you know. I was probably happy when I was like a little kid, but since then there's been no joy or happiness in my life. And I have that now. It's amazing. Like all those little things, like I was missing out on there. There's amazing. I've never taken for granted again. I know that. Right. I know there's, um, we hear people's stories a lot and, and people tend to, when they listen to us and they listen to other people, they, they tend to try to compare the, the actual actions in their lives with, with who they're listening to and really all they have to listen to is the feelings you know what emotionally is going on and and they can find stuff in common uh, i know one of the things that you and i both have in common i i, I look at people at, at what point in their lives did did god change them and sometimes it's early like for you and me we're both in our early 30s you know god came into our lives and that's really great but when I look around and see who that happens to, it's usually people like us whose first 30 years of life was horrendous. You know, we had to go, we had to hit, not just, you know, talk about hitting the bottom. We had to really slam a bottom hard. And then, you know, people don't understand that it doesn't have to be that way. If they just open up to the, feel, to the feelings that are involved, become vulnerable, allow themselves to 
uh, be touched, you know, by other people and by God, they can turn things around. And uh, that's what God wants to do. And, and you're an unbelievable example of that, which is why, you know, we started talking to begin with and, and why we got so connected. And you're telling your story again now. And I just, when I heard you speak the first time, I knew that it was God talking. There was no doubt in my mind I was listening to the Holy Spirit and not Brenton Finn. You know, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing, you are a tool for him, a walking tool for God every day. So I know that's what you aspire to be, but that's what you already are in an amazing way. And you, you should. I'm, looking, I'm yeah. looking to go to school in the fall, um, arts and science, social work, and get my Dixon certificate and stuff like that. And like, you know, just an opportunity like you're giving me right here, John, you know, like it's amazing. Something like this already happened for me in my life. Like I know that God like knows I'm ready and like just like a shiny light for him. And I'm ready to just like kick down doors, man, and just do the right thing and just try to help people's lives and turn people's lives around or at least like, you know, let them feel those emotions and that realness and what they're missing out on or, you know, because you got to be ready. But man, if, if you can really feel how I feel right now, like there's no reason why you not want to be like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember the first the first time I recognized that I wanted to be alive. And I can remember the day. It was in February, but it was really, it was 70 degrees on a day of February. So I was standing out in the sun. Everybody was throwing their coats off and throwing frisbees. Like today. It's like yeah, today. I, yeah. Yeah, I thought to myself, I really want to live. And that's when I realized that I never had wanted to prior to that. Yeah. So it was Crazy. an amazing difference in in my perspective on life linda you had a question what is it yeah um brett and i would like to hear more details about your conversion experience what happened when god got a hold of you okay um yeah so it, this is actually i'm glad you asked about it but um yeah when i was in the westminster rescue mission or whatever uh, that was actually crazy i went to court that morning and for some reason, my mom called them and they said, yeah, we'll accept them. So I'm in court. Um, the judge is in the middle of sentencing me to 15 years in prison. My lawyer interjected and said, hold up, your honor. Uh, my client hasn't had a chance to speak. So the judge is like, OK, OK, yeah, of course. So I talked to the judge about how I've been strong with recidivism based on addiction and like what my life's been like. And God spoke through me that day so powerfully that the judge tapped the microphones, had the lawyers and the state's attorney go up to the bench. The whole courtroom behind me erupted, all the people like in the in the gallery, the audience. And my lawyer came back and said, man, you just did that. I said, what? He said, you're going to a program today. Talk to- oh, It happened the in the courthouse. In the courthouse. Listen, the next day in the Carroll County Times, it said, man talks judge out of 15 year prison sentence and told like <laughs> a story. I wish I knew the date exactly. I could like right. think about it, but it is in the Carroll County Times. So, but then the police take me to this program, the Westminster Rescue Mission, and I get there and said, oh, we don't know anything about this. We're not accepting him. No, we don't know nothing about this. Whoa. So the sheriffs are like calling their boss, like, well, what do I do? They're like, well, you have to leave him there. And if they don't accept him, he has to go turn himself in or whatever. You guys just have to drop him off there. Well, the head chaplain, his name was Chaplain Steve. He was actually like a Maryland State Police chaplain or something. He came out and spoke to me. And God spoke through me. And that day, I remember he said, you are a gentle man. Like, we'd love to have you here in this program and accepted me that day. Like, and, uh, you know, I just was starting to realize, like, this is God. You know what I mean? Like, there's no other way. Like, I was, like, elated, like, floating. You know what I mean? It was such a strong sense of this, like, I can't even, I don't even know the word for it. You know, just 
my spirit was just so high and lifted, like, and I just felt like elated. And um, there is no word for joy. It. It's joy. It's joy. Yeah, and it's something yeah. I've never felt really prior before yeah. that. You know, joy is a whole new emotion to me entirely. But uh, that program back then, man, I mean, they, they were just so spot on, like just morning devotions and like helping you understand the Bible. And we just were in the Bible so much. And just like, I was like falling in love with it. And I was just starting to learn so much. We were going to church. We were going to um, celebrate recovery. And I was just like feeling like this is my life. I could do this like this, you know? And actually that was the first time I experienced spiritual warfare as well. You know, because I was like really working for God then. And that's when I, you know, there's people were saying, hey man, you're going to save thousands of lives and you're going to help so many people. And I touched that woman and everything. And uh, I just felt like such a strong sense of something trying to pull me down too at the same time. And like other oh, yeah. things were in my life. And it was, I mean, it was overwhelming to the point where I physically like could not deal with it. Like I would cry. I would just like want to be by myself. I didn't know what to do. And then um, while I was there, heroin came back in my life at the Westminster Rescue Mission. You know, a guy that was taking me to church uh, one day was like, hey, and he had some heroin and stuff. It got me back into using. And I mean, it was it was terrible. And that's uh, that's actually how I messed up that program. And I went back to prison for a while. That's actually when I got to 15 years after that. But uh, yeah, but I, God stayed in my life, though, after that. I, I was baptized at, I believe it's Crosswind Church. Um, it was just like, I, I had a lot, of, like, I left that place happy, you know. And even when I got to 15 years, I remember in court telling the judge, like, you know, Your Honor, I know you have to do what you have to do today, but I appreciate you giving me that opportunity because I got baptized. I got God back in my life. I got to spend a Christmas with my family, which was like the first time ever, you know, in such a long time. Like so many beautiful, great things happened regardless, you know. And the judge said, I can't believe I'm saying this about somebody robbing a bank. But he said, I honestly believe that you're not a bad person. I believe that you have a good heart and that you can make it through this. And he said, I'm going to give you 15 years but I want you to come back in two years and I'm going to give you a program. Well, I did come back in two years as the first time and he retired and they gave me another judge. He was like, Oh, I don't believe this. I'm not honoring this. And they sent me straight back to prison. Oh my God. Yep. And I ended up having to do the seven and a half and the whole time he didn't get reelected. So it was a third judge, Maria Ostreicher, which ended up getting my case, you know, another miracle man. And, uh, right. yep. She, she got close to me. She got me out of there. Uh, real quick, I went to that hospital, man, and uh, I remember it was so bad. A priest came and asked me, do you believe in God, you know, and, and said a prayer over me. But I knew I'm going to live. You know, God told me I was about to do keep my eyes open. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just talking to everybody like, you know, <laughs> like it's nothing. You know what I mean? I got 27 holes in me, two holes in my lung, crowded arteries, get severed, you know. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you were like, you were talking about the first time you felt joy, you know, yeah. and, and what the word for that feeling was before Linda said joy. And I got to tell you that when Paul was trying to explain that feeling and he couldn't, he was trying to come up with a word for the power that he had felt that God had placed within him, which I yeah. believe he's placed in you. And he couldn't find a big enough word. So he came up with this combination word of super abundant power. That's all in this word. And the Greek word was dunamis. Mm. And, and there's a lot of places where you'll see Paul using it. And he'll use it like three times in a sentence because he gets excited about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's and amazing. It is. And the way it feels in us 
And there's something extra about it. Not, it's not just that we feel this joy, but we feel, we know it's a knowledge that God is working in us at the exact moment that he is, and we're aware of it. And that gives it that super edge that's beyond even joy because it's the love of God um, that he chooses to use us to um, explain to people, to show people. It's like joy, comfort, peace, um, like being stable, like you know that you're going to be good. Like it's just so much like in one, like I know that now that God's working his will in my life, like I'm going to have something to do. Like I'm going to be productive. I'm going to be doing things with my life and like making people proud and like helping people. And it's just like, you know, I'm just really looking forward to all of it, you know, getting married, having a family, like doing the right thing. Like I just, all these great things I know I can feel are happening. Like it's amazing how fast things are already happening. You know what I mean? Like it's just... That's a great place for a wrap. I want to thank Brenton Finn for an awesome interview. And obviously, Brenton is one of our permanent panel members. Also, my wife, Linda, for helping out with this first interview. And please subscribe at ShiningMiracles.com to hear future episodes. Thanks for listening. The Shining Miracles podcast is a production of Angel Valley Studio. It's produced by myself, John Abato, and Brenton Finn, recorded and edited by me. Our theme song is Born Again by Michael Shines. Share your story with us by emailing miracle at shiningmiracles.com. If you're interested in production or studio services, contact Angel Valley Studio by emailing angelvalley at comcast.net.